1: Thank you for bringing us together. And Lord, may you be glorified in all that we do. Lord, just keep from us anything within our hearts that might quench the spirit. Lord, that we may see you anew. Thank you once again. Let us celebrate your love and express our love to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's go to our pastor's prayer this morning. So I just lift up a prayer of worship, reading some from Psalm 95. Pray with me if you would. Well, come, let us sing the psalmist writes to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise with him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he has made it, and his hands form the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. For he is our God. And we are the people of his passion, the sheep of his hand. Your scripture warns us today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah and as on the day of Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathe that generation, saith the Lord, and they are people who go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath that they will not enter my rest. Father, we come before you this morning with united hearts to declare your worth and to submit to the lordship of your son, Jesus, the power that's given to us through the Holy Spirit. We pray that you will open our eyes, that we may see more of your beauty and majesty this morning. Open our ears to hear your word with joy. And open our mouths that we may declare your glory with song and praise. And open our hearts that we may respond with gladness to the moving of the Spirit as we respond. And we join with all the saints that have gone before us and with the church today as we reclaim that you are worthy. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. What a good God we have. Take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 2 as we continue our study. In Mark, with the conflict with the scribes, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Found in Mark chapter 2, 23 through chapter 3, verse 6. We're combining these two passages as they come together. They're not necessarily chronicle as far as in the time frame of Jesus, as Mark is not so much concerned with the chronological events as he is thematic. So far in the last few weeks, we've been reading through the conflicts Jesus has had in his confrontation with the scribes, the Pharisees, and other religious leaders. The first conflict was Jesus forgiving the sins of the paralytic, as you might remember. In the second, they complained about Jesus eating with sinners at Matthew's house. And while the third conflict was two weeks ago about the showing of religious piety while they were fasting. In each of these conflicts, Jesus asserts his, his authority as the Messiah, the Anointed One. And this week, we're going to read of the last conflict in this series that is shown in two separate dealings with the Pharisees. This conflict is in regard of observing the Sabbath. Before we begin, would you pray with me? Father, I ask that you just give me the right words to say. Let us be able to discern between my words and the truth. And may they join together, but show when it becomes one man's opinion, rather than from the author, you yourself. And I pray that we would receive it with gladness, I really do, that you open up our hearts, Lord, to quench any spirit, anything here that would try to steal away the seeds that are being planted today, and may we respond. Father, let us be attentive listeners, may we be responsible listeners, knowing that one day we'll stand before heaven, and we will give an account to you for this time that we spent this morning, and may it be fruitful and effective, and productive. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. So as we look at these two passages, the Sabbath is what's going to be very important. I want to talk a little bit about the importance of the Sabbath, especially as regards to the Jews. You see, the observance of the Sabbath to the Jews was a much more sacred ordinance than fasting, which was the topic of our conflict two weeks ago. The Sabbath ran from sundown Friday night to sundown Saturday night. So typically, 6 p.m. Friday to around 6 p.m. on Saturday. The Sabbath was first instituted at creation in Genesis chapter 2, verses 2-3, through 3, where it says, And on the seventh day God finished His work that He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from His work that He had done. So God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So it was instituted at creation. This is not something that's just a a Jewish holiday or a Jewish observance, but it's something that all of creation was to follow and to observe. However, the Sabbath is later codified in the Ten Commandments in Mosaic Law with the fourth commandment that's found in Exodus 20, 8-11. If you want to turn there real quickly, you can. But where God says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days, now he points back why, for in the sixth day God made, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Later, we're going to see how the Jews had interpreted this command, how it had migrated to something much different than what we see here. But we see that the Jews held it in such importance that a historical fact is that over 1,000 Jews died rather than fight against Atticus Epiphanes when they were attacked on the Sabbath day. They put down their arms and allowed themselves to be massacred by Antiscus, which was the Greek general who followed Alexander the Great. Now, afterwards, they did make some adjustments to their belief on the Sabbath after a thousand were killed, but that's how sacred and how much they kept that law. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at two passages today. The first one is found in Mark chapter 2, 23 through 28. It's in your Bibles, where Jesus and his disciples were going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Well, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat? He also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was not made for man, the man for the Sabbath, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. I'd like to give you some observations before we go in and share with you what we believe this is talking about today. What the disciples were doing was something that was an everyday event in the life of a Hebrew child, a Jew. What they were doing is they were walking through and they were plucking the heads of grain, and it was not considered stealing, but it was actually considered lawful. In Deuteronomy 23, 25, God gives liberty to the traveler when he commands, if you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to it to your neighbor's standing grain. See, travel was much different than it is for you and I. Today, you may have different ways to eat when traveling. You may pack your lunch in cooler, your restaurants, and all sorts of different ways. However, there was no such conveniences then. God commands the owners of the property to show mercy... By allowing travelers to eat freely as they walk through the grain fields. Many times, the roads were not what we have as today. They would cut through someone's field, and they would just pick them. Anyone ever do that as a kid? Anybody live in our, you know, that's something we did all the time. We did all sorts of things in those cornfields, and you'd pluck them, you'd, you'd do all sorts of types of things. While at the same time, protecting owners' rights by forbidding people to just go and do what they wanted. So they could pluck from it, from the grain heads, but they weren't to, to cut it down and sell it and use it and take it home and things of that nature. So the problem isn't that the disciples were eating grain fields and eating without pain, but that the actual day that they were doing it, mainly they were doing it on a Sabbath when there should be no war on the Sabbath. The list of 39 acts were forbidden are based on the types of work that were needed to build the sanctuary. These 39 acts were based on the interpretation from Exodus 31 that we read earlier with the building of the sanctuary. Since the first part of chapter 31 dealt with the building of the sanctuary and the last part dealt with Sabbath, they took them together and said, well, anything that you would have to do for the workers or anyone else on that day to build a sanctuary, you could not do. And reaping and threshing was something that people would do to, to bring food to those that were working. So that type of work was not to be allowed. Dr. MacArthur notes that on the Sabbath, how it was later interpreted, he says in the Talmud, there are 24 chapters of Sabbath laws. In these chapters, one would find that no burden could be carried that weighed more than a dried fig, or half a fig carried two times. If you put an olive in your mouth and rejected it because it was bad, you couldn't put a whole one in the next time because the palate had tasted the flavor of the whole olive. If you threw an object in the air and you caught it with the other hand, it was a sin. If you caught it in the same hand... It wasn't. If a person was in one place and he reached out his arm for food and the Sabbath day overtook him, in other words, if he put his hand out at 5.59 and it turned six o'clock, he would have to drop it and not return his arm back to his body because then he would be carrying something. A tailor couldn't carry his needle. The scribe couldn't carry his pen. A pupil couldn't carry his books. No clothing could be examined unless you find a lice or a spider or something and you inadvertently kill it. Wool couldn't be dyed, nothing could be sold, nothing could be bought, nothing could be washed. A letter could not even be sent, even if it was delivered by a heathen. No fire could be lit, cold water could be poured on warm, but you could not put warm water on cold. An egg could not even be boiled, and even if all you did was put it in the hot Middle Eastern desert sand. As you can see, after much time, the religious leaders had taken the simple commands of a day of rest and worship and codified it, into some type of unrecognizable list of religious worship that actually wound up creating more burdens. Then, of course, they would find legal loopholes for how they could travel such and such distance. So they would have a whole bunch of things that you would learn how to observe the Sabbath. It became ridiculous. So their question is, why are you allowing him to do that? Don't you know it's unlawful? They're reaping and they're threshing. Can't be done. Not on the Sabbath. They should just go hungry. They shouldn't eat. In verses 25 and 26, though, we see Jesus, instead of just answering the question, as most people would do, he asks a counter-question based on the events that are found in Samuel, 1 Samuel 21, in the first six verses. But we're going to read here from Mark chapter 2, 25-26, when Jesus said, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and he was hungry, he and those who were with him, and how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, and he ate the bread of presence. It was not lawful for anyone to eat of that bread, except the priest, and gave it to those that were with him. The bread of presence, for those of you who may not remember your Levitical law, consists of twelve loaves of unleavened bread that represented the twelve tribes of Israel. They were placed on a table in the sanctuary and at the end of the week they were replaced with fresh ones. The old ones then, the priests then would divvy up between themselves and they would eat that week old bread. While it was not normally lawful for David and his companions to eat this consecrated bread, neither did God want them to starve, so nowhere does scripture condemn them for eating and Jesus doesn't take the task here to do so either, but actually uses it as an event to show a real-world measure of what the Sabbath really is. So Jesus then is teaching them the point of the Sabbath that they have been missing for all these years when he says in verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Pharisees had twisted around. Walter Wessel writes in his commentary that Jesus does not claim that the Sabbath laws has not been technically broken, but that such violations under certain conditions are warranted. You see, the Pharisees were more concerned that the disciples would go hungry rather than they would eat. The teachers of the law, including the Pharisees, had added so many burdens to the observance of the law as to make them nonsensical. Ralph Earl writes in his commentary that Jesus is teaching that humans need a higher law than religious ritualism. And again, that's what we see time and time with the Pharisees. They're more concerned with the ritualism of religion. They're more concerned with the rules and the precepts than they are with the principles and the person. Jesus is basically answering that the Sabbath was made for man to rest and to worship, as we saw in the creation order, not to impose more burdens on men and women. It was not made so someone would go hungry or someone would be hurt or someone would struggle. In this case, the Pharisees would rather disciples go hungry than to violate their own rules for Sabbath. It is in verse 28 we get to the crux of the matter. And this is the most important part when we come to this passage. When Jesus proclaims that the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now many times we'll read these things and then we go on. But just again, as Jesus, every time He uses a title or declares something like this, it really is a matter for us to pause and to consider, what is Jesus saying here? We've already read that the Son of Man is Jesus' favorite title for Himself. And that title it comes, as Dustin shared with us at the beginning of this series, from Daniel. In other words, Jesus has personal authority, what he's saying here, to wipe away all other extra-biblical observances and legalities and to declare what is acceptable and right. God had already placed, do no work. The religious people, what we normally do, is then they added all the rules and interpreted in such a way, gave it a framework and says, well, this is what it means not to work. But God hadn't given them that authority to add to his word in such a way. And they had built over times such things that were just so silly and things that led to dire consequences. And Jesus here is saying, wait a second, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the Son of Man. I am the Messiah, the Anointed One. John MacArthur says that when Jesus called himself the Lord of the Sabbath, he struck the severest blow at the Pharisees' system. Because that system was a system of works and merits and self-righteousness and achievements and attainment of spiritual relationship with God that was found through ceremony and ritual and external law-keeping found its focal point in the Sabbath because it was the high day for them. Every seventh day of the week was the main day for their religion. When Jesus then ignored and disdained the Sabbath, he put himself in direct conflict with the Jewish leaders at the most sensitive points. And so Jesus here is going to the heart of the matter. The Pharisees want to be critical. They want to be hard-hearted about this and say, wait a second, you're breaking a rule that we ourselves started. Your people should not be eating. They should not be doing these things. But Jesus just so nonchalantly says, you know what? You don't get to say what's what. For I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. You've forgotten what it's about. It's not about man-made religions and man-made rules. Now, I want to stop here and just say there are many times I grew up in a church that had many rules. And obviously, as young people, we push against them. But as you grow older, you see many times those rules are a framework to help us grow. Some were good, some were not. Some were effective, some were not. Some drove some away, and some would drink you to you. So there's nothing wrong with rules and regulation. Any organization, any business, any family, any type of thing is always going to have some framework of do's and don'ts. But as we've shared with you, the Bible is a list of do's and don'ts, thou shalt, thou shalt nots. They're precepts. But the key to these precepts, that they're always points to a principle, a why. And that principle always points to the character of God. However, what we find here with the Pharisees and the religious leaders who had brought up these 24 chapters on what the Sabbath is and isn't or what you could do and could not, their precepts led to a principle is that we really are in control of you. Which pointed to their person and their character as one who is going to be heavy handed and we are in charge. The exact opposite of how God works and motivates and reveals himself to us. And so parents, I say this as an extra bonus. And so we must be careful with the rules and the regulations, the frameworks we put on, because your rules and regulations says much about your principles, about what you owe dear, and about your person, about your character. In this case, the Pharisees are left exposed As Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Now here's where I really want you to get to. Because Jesus is doing more than just saying the Lord of the Sabbath. We need to understand what he means when he says he's the Lord of the Sabbath. Here's the notes that I'd like to get as it comes on the screen. For declaring, by declaring that he was the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus was declaring two things. We've looked at this earlier, but I want to now open them up by declaring that he was the lord of the sabbath, Jesus was in essence declaring that he was the creator of all things. Amen. He says I'm the creator of all things. In Genesis chapter 2, we see that the sabbath was created by whom? God. God instituted. We saw that earlier. Now let's turn your Bibles if you would and turn to John chapter 1 with me. John chapter 1. Jesus is declaring that I'm the creator Of all things, and later both John and Paul will share with us more about who Jesus is. Jesus is declaring cannon shots across the bow. Here, look at John chapter one, verses one through three. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made what through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. What is that scripture telling us? He's the creator, is he not? He and God are the same. He's the creator. If you don't believe me there, let's turn to Paul in Colossians chapter 1 if you would please. Further back, Colossians chapter 1. And Let's look at this together. Famous portion of scripture. Underline it. Mark this down in your Bible. For those who would say Jesus was just a man, the Bible leaves no such thing Colossians chapter 1, look at verse 15. It says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Who has seen God? No one. But if you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. He's the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were what? Created in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions, whether governments or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him, and for him, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus tells the Pharisees, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. He strikes into their heart and says, wait a second, I'm the creator. I'm the one who instituted the Sabbath. The Sabbath day is when we, God, when the Trinity, we rested from our work. In other words, we created all things. There's no new things being created. He's now just withholding and sustaining all things. You hear your breathing. If Jesus says no, takes his hand away, you'd be stopped to breathe. The very substance of this pulpit that's made of wood, that's made of atoms and everything else, only has its property and stands because God is holding its properties for us, as well as everything else that we see and the things that we do not see. For Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He says, listen up, I'm the creator. I'm your creator. I created not only the disciples, I created the grains of field. And if they want to eat the grains of the field, then so be it. And also the second thing that we see is not only is he declaring that he is the creator, but by declaring that he is the Lord of the Sabbath, He's declaring that he is the great lawgiver himself. He is the lawgiver. In Exodus 20, we see that God commands them. This is the Sabbath day. God was the one who gave Moses the king commandments. Jesus says, I am with him. Look, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Let's look at Matthew's account as Jesus is speaking to them on the Sermon on the Mount. See, Jesus is the lawgiver, not them. They can add on to the law. They can devise this elaborate framework, this trellis that works out how they believe that the Sabbath is supposed to do. They try to interpret it and apply it in the way they see fit. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus is speaking to them and says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all of it is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of the commandments and teaches others to do it, the same will be called least in the kingdom of God. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of God. And he continues on, I am the one who fulfills the law. I am the Sabbath. And we'll look a little bit of that just in a moment. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you heard it was said to those of old. Speaking of the Old Testament, of the law, of the interpretation of the Talmud. He says, you have heard it taught this way, but I say to you. The response of the crowds to that teaching was that they were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. See, Jesus is saying, listen, listen, wake up. Hold on. I am not only the creator, but I am the lawgiver. If they were doing something wrong, I would call them to the carpet, so to speak. You have it wrong, Pharisees. Once again, he's pointing out the silliness of their rules and their regulations. As we go on to passage number two, we see their hearts. Heart. In Mark chapter 3, look at verses 1 through 6. The Pharisees should have gotten this. They would have been struck by that phrase, Son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And we see it clearly here in chapter 3. And again, he entered the synagogue. This was probably sometime after, or very close. And there was a man with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might what? Rejoice, be glad, but what? Accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good, to do harm, to save life, or to kill it? Boy, Jesus had a way to get right to the crux of the point. Didn't he? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved the hardness of their heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him of how to destroy him. What a sad, sad passage. It describes the heart of the Pharisees. This man suffered from some type of paralysis. There was something wrong with his hand. But they were there to spy on Jesus in order to accuse him of being a lawbreaker. They weren't looking to see if he would heal. They weren't looking to rejoice with it, to find a way to hurt him. The interesting thing here is they believed Jesus would heal him. There's no doubt that they believed Jesus would heal him, but they would want to know if he would do it on the Sabbath and expose himself as a Sabbath breaker. Somebody and I were talking this week about healing. If someone were healed, wouldn't we want to go to that person? And yes. Would we refuse to do him and say, you know what? You can't heal on Wednesdays. Wednesdays just doesn't work for us. That's how these Pharisees would be. You can't heal him on the Sabbath. Friday's okay as long as it's before 6. But don't you dare heal him between 6 and 6. That just isn't good. That's not prime time. They believed he could heal, but they wondered if he would do it on a holy day. Walter Wessel, in his commentary, reports that rabbinic law actually allowed healing on the Sabbath, but only in the event that life was actually in danger. Now, obviously, this man was life was not in danger. So Jesus asked them a basic question. Jesus is aware of their intentions. See, so he asked a question to expose really their hardened hearts. Jesus knew what their answer would be, and their hearts are silent. They can't even answer it. Why? Because they don't want to give any types of words. Yes, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? Is it lawful to save a life or to kill? And you and I would probably answer, yeah, you should do good, not bad. It's the day that God created. You should be able to do good. I should be able to save a life. What's funny is this is similar to an event that's recorded in Luke chapter 13 and verse 15 concerning a woman who had major back problems, who was bent over. Jesus likened it to one who was sent by Satan. He says, you hypocrites, when he spoke to the Pharisees, does not each one of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? So they know whether it's to do good or do not. They weren't allowed their animals to eat. They would go and feed their animals. They would let their animals drink. If one was caught in a mire, they would go get him out. Not, not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, Jesus says, whom Satan has bound for 18 years, be loose from this on the Sabbath day. In the eyes of the Pharisees, animals were worth more than humans. Of course I'll help my animal if he's hurt. But there's no way I'm helping that person. Unfortunately, isn't that how many people feel today? Where animals will get more consideration than an infant child that's still in his mother's womb. They remain silent and don't answer him. And here is a scripture that many will struggle with, but Jesus is angry, and I don't blame him. I think there's a part of us that sometimes our anger is always in a wrong or sinful instance, but Jesus is angry and his heart is greed because they're, they're hardened hearts and responds by compassionately healing this man. He has a holy anger, a righteous indignation, something that we've lost in many ways. Their hearts are hardened, but Jesus doesn't allow that to harden his heart, but he compassionately reaches out and touches or heals this man. The problem is the response with these Pharisees is their hardened hearts are not only exposed, but then they double down on their hardness. because so They respond by joining forces with the supporters of King Herod in order to destroy Jesus. And why this is so interesting is because these two groups were not fond of each other. The Jews did not like the Herodians. They were supporters of King Herod. King Herod was an Edomite. He was the son of Esau, not of Jacob. He's not an Israelite. He's not a Jew. But here we see that they come together and say, well, let's work together on this issue. Why? so we may destroy Jesus. Kind of similar to what Pontius Pilate and Herod did at the crucifixion of Christ. Two people who were against each other, the Roman governor and the Jewish king and the fact that he was the king of the Jews. And what they did is it brought them together when they killed Jesus. It made them friends. Jesus attacks their hypocritical hardened hearts that are full of nothing but arrogance and pride, yet void of mercy and compassion. Let me tell you, that is not worship. That is not pleasing to God. They have missed the whole point of the Sabbath. And I believe me and you, you and I have done the same thing many times. You see, the Sabbath is a time of worship. And what better way to worship than to honor God, who has shown us mercy by loving our neighbors and showing them the same mercy. Mark chapter 12 gives us what true worship is. It sums up the law. We know it as the first and second greatest commandment. It's our reason for existing. The most important command is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, and the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment. Greater than these. So, what should we do on the Sabbath? We should honor God. We should love our neighbors. That's what the Sabbath is about. It's resting from our labor, especially in a sin-cursed world. Especially since our labor has been cursed since Genesis three. It's our time to just say, Lord, we just want to worship you as a family. We come together and we do good works and we serve others. It's when we don't think about ourselves but others. Typically, our work is filled with our own self. Now, that doesn't mean we don't do that the other six days of the week. But this is a day that's set apart. So should you and I also celebrate a Sabbath? Yes. Now, we have a Christian Sabbath. We believe Sunday, that's when the disciples begin to work, observe the Sabbath, in honor of Christ, who was raised from the dead on that day. We, too, should take that time out. We should, too, take that time to worship and honor God. You See, the Sabbath is a gift from God to man, that we may find rest from our labors, as I said before, especially in a sin-cursed world, in order that we might turn our hearts in worship to the Creator and the Lawgiver of all things. It also points to a future time of rest that's found in Christ as He provides for our salvation by declaring that there's no need for you and I to work for our salvation any longer. Today is our day of rest. Today is our Sabbath. Today is our day in which we're here and we're to hear from our King and we're to worship and to glorify Him. And I encourage you to continue that through the day. Yes, get your rest. Your body, your mind, your emotion needs that. Take some downtime. Take some time to play. Take some time to serve others. Take some time, if you still have your family with you, to do devotions on a Sunday night. Take some time just to, to refocus and prepare yourself for the Monday to Saturday grind. Now I know there are some of you who have to work after this. And that's just part of this world is that we work 7 days a week now. So I encourage you take the time that the best you can. See that even in your job, even in your vocation, you can love God and serve others and worship and honor him. The Sabbath is just a day in which we can do so. I don't have time to expand more on Jesus being our rest. And obviously, that's not really what Mark is really pointing here. We'll leave that for Hebrews. But what we need to realize is Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He means He's the Creator. He's the Lawgiver. And it's in Him we truly find rest. He says it best in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Let me close with these words. And I pray as I take them, I pray that you would just hold on to them this week. Would you think and pray and dwell on this phrase? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We need that. We need to bow and turn our eyes towards Him. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let's take a moment to pause, to pray, to consider and to respond to God's Word. I'd like just to ask a few questions, if I may. Let me ask you, do you regularly take a day of rest from your labors? Do you regularly use that day to worship and honor God, whatever day it may be? Have you ceased from trying to earn your own salvation or are you trying to work it on your own? Let me tell you, Jesus is that rest. It's not by works, it's not by might, but it's by grace. Have you accepted the rest that comes from trusting in the works of Christ? If not, would you do so this morning? With just a moment, would you just bow your head and close your eyes? And whatever the Holy Spirit's calling, would you respond to his word? Father, you are the great creator. And in your wisdom, you created a day of rest where we can turn our hearts in honor and worship if you declare that you are worthy. That we too, like you, can look back on our work and say, it is good. We have served you and it has served your purposes. I pray if we have not taken the time to do so, if our Sabbath has not been of that sort, I pray now that you could convince our hearts of the need to do so, and that there would be many that would commit to making the Sabbath, a true Sabbath, a day of looking and honoring you. In the same way, Lord, we can love our neighbors. We can serve them. We can share with them Christ. We can do so with our families, get the rest we need, and also do the things that you've called us to do. We thank you for your law. And Father, I pray that as we read your word, as we read your law, Lord, that we not add to it man-made regulations and frameworks, Lord, that do nothing but add burdens to your salvation. But may we rest in your good works. We thank you for that. In your name we pray. God's people said,
0: Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at faith at orangefilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangefilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.